Good morning. All right, so we're going to do something like this, okay? Um, during when we're sharing, you can feel the front, and then afterwards, you can go back to your group. So why don't we rise to our feet right now? Look at somebody, greet a few people, and then all of you move to the front. And then when we go into our groups, you can go back to your seat, okay? So all of you move to the front. If you're at the back when I finish, when we finish greeting, I will call you to the front. All right. Say something good to somebody. Let them feel welcome. The front seats are waiting for some beautiful people. A special gift to those who fill the front seat. A special gift for those who come and fill these seats. Good morning again. Good morning again. It's great to uh, see um, Jeffrey and Barbara. I'm not sure if this is your first service, is it? Barbara's not here. Oh, sorry. I beg your pardon. Jeffrey. It's great to see Jeffrey, who's a dad. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, I've just seen something on my phone. The gift. You want to know what this gift is? It's the gift of the love of God, which I'm going to be sharing with you. And because you're at the front, you get a special dose. Amen. Oh, boy, you don't seem so excited by that. Well, never mind. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to bless us. Heavenly Father, thank you for today's service. Thank you for your wonderful people. Thank you for another privilege to look into your word. I ask, Father, that you will speak clearly into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, this is our fourth week, like Angela said. And uh, we're going to talk about how we can have faith. Um, also, in the red book, sometimes in some of the books, it is how can I be sure of my faith? So, how we can have faith. We're going to look at that. And uh, I have found these Alpha series uh, very encouraging myself because, you know, when you are going through some of these basic fundamental things, you just, uh, God's word is so wonderful, you just get fresh insight. And you get re, um, reinvigorated and strengthened. So I pray that's your testimony as well. So how can, how can we have faith um, as believers? I want to read a few scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How can we have faith? faith. Now, on the onset, it is important for us to differentiate between being religious, which is not a bad thing, that is you seeking to try and serve God 
Praise God. That was a beautiful tune. Yes, uh, I don't know who's, is that, is this phone here? Yes, okay. <clears throat> let's, let's, let's carry on. So there's a difference between being religious, which is you trying to serve God, and it's not a bad thing in itself, and really having a relationship with God. And uh, when we talk about having faith, we have to understand our faith must be rooted in a relationship with God. Our faith must be rooted in relationship. It must be rooted in a relationship with God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, as the Holy Spirit helps us along that relationship. It's so important. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. It's not in your notes, but I want to read it. The Apostle John says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The Apostle John was sharing to his audience from a place of relationship and experience. What we have seen, what we have heard, sorry, what we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled. It speaks about intimacy, interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks about what they saw of him, what they heard about him, and so forth. And one of the things about the life of the apostles, if you are really wanting to look at Christianity critically, and let's just look at it from a perspective that says this was something made up by clever people who were trying to persuade people. Now, if I know that something that I'm saying is a lie, if I know it's a lie, there's only so far I'm going to go. There's only so much I'm willing to give for a lie. For instance, I will not be willing to sacrifice my children for a lie. I mean, I will not be willing, I'll be willing to lose certain things for a lie, but not other things for a lie. I mean, if you've ever lied before, so you know what I'm talking about. You know, um, I, you know, as a parent, sometimes, you know, you say to your children, tell me the truth. And they say, Dad, I'm telling the truth. Or Mom, I'm telling the truth. You say, tell me the truth. If you don't tell me the truth, if you tell me the truth, you're going to be okay. But if you don't tell me the truth, you're going to not go on your computer for how long. Dad, I, didn't, I did this, I said, and they'll tell you the truth. Right? Why? Because they don't like the consequence of a lie. Now, when you look at the apostles and what they went through, one thing you will be sure of, they were convinced about what they were saying. Whether what they were saying is true or not is secondary. They were convinced. Why? They were willing to die for what they believed. They were willing to lose their family for what they believed. They were willing to be humiliated for what they believed. They didn't fight back concerning what they believed. They lost everything because of what they believed. And the Apostle John says that what they were sharing had to do with what they had experienced. He says, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested or revealed to us. In other words, what we are sharing with you is based on what we experience concerning eternal life. And he says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, John the Apostle was not only saying to them, look, 
We have experienced something, and out of that experience, we're talking to you, and we want you to experience what we experienced. But he went on to say, we continue to have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, their faith was not just about what they had heard and learned and experienced in the past, but it was about what they were continuing to experience in a dynamic relationship with God the Father and with his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 4, these things we write to you that your joy may be full or you may be completely satisfied in life. You may be completely fulfilled concerning who you are and what you are supposed to do. So our faith must be rooted in relationship with God because as healthy relationships are, are essential to how we go about life, even so, how we enjoy life and experience God must be based on our relationship with him. It is important for you and I, whether you're new to the Christian faith, you're thinking about the Christian faith, or you are in that Christian experience with God, it is important for you to know that the way your faith grows, becomes stronger and stronger, is through your relationship with God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Over the years, I've seen many fall by the wayside. And uh, when they fall by the wayside, in other words, I've seen many decide not to follow Jesus anymore. Some will even say, it's not true. It's not real. I remember one guy who vehemently was saying it's not real and it's not true, only to discover that the, only, the real reason why they stopped serving Jesus was because they had faced such tragedy that they were angry with God. Not because they didn't believe anymore, but because they were angry with God. You see, the Christian faith is about relationship with God. Whilst it's important, and we're going to touch on the Bible, and it's important about church life and all those things, Outside of a dynamic relationship with God the Father and with our Lord Jesus Christ, it's just a bunch of morals, moral values and good teachings and so forth, which is no different from any other religion, you see. And actually, Paul the Apostle said something. He said, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men the most miserable. In other words, our faith cannot simply be based on how to live a good life or how to do good here. It must be because there's something that is causing a dynamic relationship with God that is not just for this life, but also for the age to come. So, having said that, what then is a Christian? If we're talking about how we can have faith and how we can be, uh, how we can be sure of our faith and so forth, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because today, in our world here, in, certainly in England, in the United Kingdom, sorry, the United Kingdom for those of you in Scotland and those of you in Wales, in the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland, amen. Because if you say in this country, and just say England or, you know, let's move on. So, um, what is it, this country is supposed to be a Christian country, that's the point. It's supposed to be a Christian country. We have a prime minister who claims to be a Christian, and I, I, I don't doubt her faith. There are many politicians these days who claim to be Christians. 
there are many uh, celebrities who claim to be Christians. And there's a lot of church people who claim to be Christians. <clears throat> but what, what is a Christian? What does that mean? Is it being a nice person? Um, many times when I, when I listen to commentators, especially secular commentators, they may say something like, we are all Christians. And what they mean is we are all good people, we're all nice people. Um, the reality is there are many nice atheists. They're very good, sound Muslims, better moral people than many Christians, at least that I have met <clears throat> And people from other faiths as well who are decent people, nice to do business with. You know, at times when you see the label Christian business, you know you have to run. Because there's nothing Christian about the business. They are not on time. They are unpunctual. They are very demanding. When they serve you, they don't serve you properly. They'll tell you, I'll bring the business by this time. And two weeks later, you're still chasing them. And they're telling you, listen, in Jesus' name, brother, be patient. (laughs) People refer to the nation as a Christian country. And that's what a lot of the jihadists, they are fighting against Christian, the Christian West. There's nothing Christian about the West anymore. You know, um, I'm not sure there ever was anyway, but definitely there's nothing Christian about the West anymore. Uh, the fact that we are born in the West doesn't make us Christians. Um, I like this saying, uh, being born in a Christian country doesn't make you a Christian anymore than being born in a stable makes you a horse. Yeah. What about believing in God? The fact that you believe in God, does that make you a Christian? It's interesting, isn't it? James said something in James chapter 2, 19 and 20. He says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. He says, but do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So the fact that we believe in God's existence and we may even believe that Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth, does not make us a Christian. What about going to church? Does that make us Christians? Well, the Lord said, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do such and such? In fact, he said, you taught in our streets and we drank in your presence. And he will tell them, depart from me, I never knew you. So even going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What about becoming a member of Christian Life Fellowship? That makes you a Christian. No, not really, no. That that doesn't make you a Christian as well. There are many members of Christian Life Fellowship all over the world who are not Christians. Let's just be real. They are not Christians. How they live their lives. So what makes a person a Christian? Being a pastor. What about being a pastor? And, uh, you know, being a pastor. Does that make me a Christian? Well, the Lord said, Many will say, didn't we cast out demons in your name, prophesy in your name, and in your name do many wonderful works. And you will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So even doing church work doesn't make you a Christian. So becoming a Christian or having faith or being strong in our faith or growing in faith is not simply the embrace of religious ideas. Or reformed character. It's not enough. It is more than a change of attitudes 
and even a, change, a way of changing how we think. It's more than that. It is having an introduction into a dynamic relationship with Jesus. That's what being a Christian is about. It is being a follower of the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is having a relationship with him. It is following him. And it begins when we have what the Bible calls being born again. We experience what it means to be born again. In John chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, this is what Jesus himself said. He said to a religious man, a well-educated, moral, religious man, he said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus in verse 4 asks him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So having faith or being a Christian is really somebody who has been born again and is a follower of Jesus Christ. It is someone who has that relationship with God the Father and his son after they were born again. How one becomes a Christian may vary with each individual. For me, it began in 1982, the first week in June. I wish I remembered the exact date. I was so born again that I didn't even bother with that. But I know it was the first week in June because, the reason why I know it was the first week in June because there was this tale floating about that by the end of June, I think, the world was coming to an end. Um, well, the world didn't come to an end, did it? But it happened to me in that week. Now, before then, a lot of things happened. And before then, I used to say I was a Christian. Imagine. I used to believe before June of 1982, I was convinced I was a Christian. And whenever people ask me, what religion are you? Christian. You know, uh, I remember in school, people asking me, so you're a Christian? I said, yeah. And they said, no, you're not. You're not a Christian. I said, yes, I am. Shut your mouth. I am a Christian. So you're not a Christian. Um, you know, you might say some expletives. Frank off. I'm a Christian. You know, um, <laughs> you got it. Yeah, let's move on quickly. So um, <laughs> up until that point, I thought I was a Christian. But then in 1982, in my bedroom, I had an experience after a series of events I had an experience in my bedroom and I asked Jesus to come into my life and to save my soul. And when, I, when that happened, something occurred inside of me that changed me forever. Now the thing is, after my experience, I then discovered what the Bible says about the experience. So I, I was experiencing things and then I would read it in the Bible later on and realize that actually this is what I experienced. But uh, in, my, uh, in my encounter, when I got born again, all I know is from that day onwards, I changed forever. My outlook about life changed. Um, my moral values changed. The reality of God for me was very, very real. It was closer to me than the breath I breathed. My conscience had been changed. So my perception of right and wrong had 
went off the charts com- completely. Um, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a nice experience for me, I'll be totally honest. I'm not going to, you know, Adiola shared such a wonderful testimony, you know, about how, you know, you know, she came to the church and beautiful people, thank God for your lives and stuff. That wasn't my reality. After, when, I got, when I had this encounter with God, I was really upset because I was so aware of right and wrong and, uh, and uh, I was still a virgin. It wasn't a nice thing. So, <clears throat> yeah, I just threw that in there. So, so it was like, no, man, this is not right. Why did I, why did that happen? I could have, I should have waited. That's what I was honestly thinking. I was 16, what do I know? You know, 16 at that time. Look at you, working at my age. 16 at that time. Yeah, so um, the point I'm making is this. From that day when I got born again, everything changed. And a battle began. A battle to live for God began. And I'll be honest with you, I am not one of these that had such strong faith when I got saved. I was one of those ones in church who didn't know anything about the Bible, didn't want to pray, didn't want to come to church, didn't like church music, didn't like going to church, didn't like church people in general, didn't like a lot of things, actually. That was me. So when I'd come to church, I had a frown, didn't want anybody to come and greet me and talk to me. I'd just leave me alone. I have to come to church because that's what Christians do. That was my... I think some of you are so nice people, and you come to church, you say hello to you, say hello back. When they say hello to me, I said something, whatever, go away now. So people would ask Roger, who we went to church together, what's wrong with your friend? And he would say to me, Joe, be, be, be friendly, be nice to people. And I'm thinking, what for? I'm not supposed to be here when I could be watching telly at home, so whatever. But something had begun. Something had begun in me, in spite of me. I had changed forever. And I remember one of my biggest fears was this. Will I last? Will I have the strength to make it? In five years' time. At that time, I was 16. So I was, I, I, my thing was, if, if I'm 21 and I'm still a Christian, it would be awesome. I'm just over 21. I know I look it. Anyway, yeah, so... All I'm trying to say is, boy, you guys are very serious today. Hey, no, no, my jokes ain't cutting it. That's fine, cool. Let's just quickly move on. The important thing for you to realize about your relationship with God and our Lord Jesus Christ is that you have to be willing to let Jesus come into your life. You have to be willing. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, if you are willing to receive Jesus into your life, he gives you the right, the authority, and the privilege to become a child of God, those who believe or trust in his name. So that's what you need to do. That's how you begin to have faith, is by trusting in Jesus, is by relying upon Jesus, is by believing in Jesus. And God himself wants us to be sure 
of our faith. God wants you to be sure of your faith. God does not want us to be robots. People just go to church and then just believe what the pastor says. No, 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 no. God wants us to be people who will investigate for ourselves what is being said to find out whether what is being said is true. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, this is not in your notes. The scripture says, but sanctify the Lord in your heart. In other words, make sure God is the most important person in your heart. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready to give an answer or a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you do the things that you do? You need to be able to explain yourself. And that's why this course is good, because it helps us to have that foundation. God wants us to be able to explain what we believe and why we believe what we believe. 1 John 5.13 says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now listen, like I said earlier on, the way you have faith is by beginning a relationship with God the Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus. But it's also by continuing in that relationship. Now, there are certain things that will reinforce that relationship, but it's about your relationship with Him. He says, we write these things to you so that you will believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, you will rely on Jesus and who He is. That's what it means when it says His name. And that you may also know, you may be assured of the reality that you have eternal life. In other words, not only do you have a relationship with God, but you also are convinced, you know for sure, that from this day till forever, you have eternal life. And death is not your end. It's so important. Many Christians are afraid of death. And the reason is because they don't know they have eternal life life. And it says, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, because in our faith, you believe in Jesus and you keep believing in Jesus. You keep trusting in Jesus. So when we say believe, we mean you rely on, you trust on, and you follow after. So you believe in Jesus, but you keep believing. This is how you have faith. This is how you grow in your faith. And it is reinforced by these three things. First of all, the Word of God, which is so important, which is really the Bible, the Word of God. That's the primary basis. And anything that agrees with what the Bible teaches. And then secondly, it's the work of our Lord Jesus. And then the third thing is, is the witness of the Holy Spirit. These are the three key dynamics that reinforces and strengthens our relationship with God the Father, and with his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the witness, the work of Jesus, sorry, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Let's touch on the Word of God briefly. Now, our faith must be, first of all, based on the evidence provided in the Word of God. Not on our feelings, not even on our experiences, even though the experiences are important. Certainly, our faith must not be based on our circumstances because circumstances change. We looked at, in the second segment, when we looked at who Jesus was, we looked at the, the, the historical 
evidence, the overwhelming evidence about the Bible and its authenticity. And next week, we'll look, about, we'll look at the Bible more. But the point I want you to see is this. The Word of God must be the basis upon which our faith is established. Not our feelings or circumstances. Feelings change, circumstances come and go, but God's Word remains the same. There's a wonderful scripture, Isaiah 40 verse 8 says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Grass withers. Grass speaks of human beings. Human beings, we wither. Flower fades. Flower speaks of our glory. Our glory is passing. Your beauty is fleeting. As beautiful as all of you are, you will grow old one day. Yeah. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God is full of many promises, many directives, many things about God, about his son, and about his provision for us. And when you follow the word of God from a heart of faith, you are, or a heart of relying upon what it says, that's how your faith increases. Now, the truth is, Faith is a choice. You decide to believe. Listen, Jesus of Nazareth, when he walked the earth, he performed tremendous miracles. People saw him do amazing things, yet they chose not to believe. They chose not to believe. Faith is a choice. And so when it comes to the word of God, what I have found very helpful for me is I have my opinions. I'm very clear about my opinions. And then I'll see something in the Bible which goes against my opinion. And so I will have to decide whether I will submit what I believe to what the Bible says. And what I've found over the years is, as I have learned to do that, it has helped me to become stronger in my faith and also experiencing the reality of God more. There's so many wonderful things in the Bible, but one thing the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, so then faith, that is that believing ability, comes by hearing, or that word hearing also means understanding, and hearing, or the ability to understand, comes by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In other words, the more you hear God's word, the more you grow to understand God's word. And the more you grow to understand God's word, the easier it becomes to believe God's word. So as you keep hearing God's word, hearing God's word, it begins to seep into you. It begins to affect you. And you know, over the years, I've, I have even tested it. I have done my own scientific application. So, like, I, I might read something in the Bible that says about, let's say, healing. And then I would say, okay, I'm going to follow the prescription here and see what happens. Or about prosperity. And I say, right, I'm going to follow the prescription here and see what happens. And I have found it amazing. You know, sometimes I've been amazed when what the Bible says actually happens. I know it sounds strange, but I have been amazed. So, that's the word of God. Then the second thing is the work of Jesus how we can strengthen our faith and grow in faith and be sure of our faith is the work of Jesus. Now, we touched on that again the second time in last week, the second session and also last week, we touched on the work of Jesus. 
And the truth is, we can be certain of our faith because of our Lord Jesus and what he did on us, for us, through the cross, in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and also his ascension. Through what Jesus has done, we can be sure of our faith. The truth about a resurrected Christ historically, honestly, if you do the research, it cannot be denied that he rose again. Certainly, we looked at the mention of some of it in the writings of Josephus and Tacitus. These were not even Christians. But I think the, the most convincing, the most convincing, in my view, argument attesting to the resurrection is the testimony, outside of the word of God, is the fact that thousands of Christians were willing to be killed because of their faith. They didn't fight back. Our faith is not a faith that you can take revenge and say you are following the tenets of the teachings of your, 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 your master. There is no such thing. When Jesus was about to be taken, Peter took his sword out, chopped off Marcus's ear, and Jesus said, no, it's not like that. Those who live by the sword die by it. And then he healed Marcus. Now imagine, he healed the guy's ear, then said, now go and, go and kill me. And they did as well. Just goes to show, I mean, the guy just healed somebody's ear. What would you have done? So these guys, they saw, they saw all that Jesus did, and then they had the Holy Spirit come on them, and they were willing to lose everything. Lose everything. And you know, today, even today, in our world today, there are many Christians, especially in the Muslim world, who are willing to lose everything after they come to Christ. They're willing to lose everything. Once they come to Christ, they're willing to lose everything. They come to Christ, they have an encounter with him. Sometimes he appears to them through dreams and visions and sends them to churches and sends them to Christians. Sometimes it's through them reading the Bible in all kinds of ways. But once they come to faith, they're willing to lose everything for Jesus because of what he has done. The good news about the work of Jesus is that we can come exactly as we are and he will receive us. Exactly as we are. That's amazing. You don't come to Jesus with your Sunday best. You come as you are. He's not interested in that. He's interested in you. Because he loves you. And he died for you and paid the price for you. And he doesn't want you to try and impress him. Even after you become a Christian, Jesus does not want you to try and impress him as a Christian. He just wants you to grow to know him and to love him. And know that you are loved by him. So, because of what he's done, we can come to him regardless of our achievements. You see, it's not about what we can do or our past achievements. It's about what he has done for us and how we receive him. So, the work of Jesus for, for you and I means that the more we rely on what Jesus has done, the stronger our faith becomes. So whenever you fail, whenever you mess up in your journey, remember what Jesus did for you. Remember that Jesus died for you, paid the price for your sins. And so you don't have to pay that price anymore. R Romans chapter 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus gives you a gift 
of eternal life. Today is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. And we receive gifts from our children. At least I, my children gave me some wonderful looking gifts. I've said to myself, when I go home, I'm going to enjoy. Today I'm going to enjoy Father's Day and it goes into tomorrow. Father's Day continues tomorrow as well. So I'm going to enjoy my gifts. But the gifts were free. Well, kind of, you know. <laughs> uh, came from one source. But anyway, <laughs> the gifts were free. Eternal life is free. It's a gift. Yeah. But although it's free, it's not cheap. It costs our Lord his life. Somebody said, why did he have to die for our sins? Simply put, just like every action has a consequence, how we live our lives outside of the will of God has a consequence. And the consequence is death. And that is what sin is about. Sin produces death. Now, for you to be able to be free of sin, you have to be able to pay the price of sin, which is death. And Jesus paid that price. Simply put. There's a lot more to it than that, but because of time, um, we won't go into it. So we receive what Jesus has done through repentance that leads us to faith. In other words, we receive what Jesus has done when we change our attitude and our way of thinking and trust in what Jesus has done. That's how we reinforce our faith. All right, quickly. I want to read something in Romans chapter 10, 8 to 13 about how wonderful it is for you and I to come to a place of faith and to continue to grow in our faith. Scripture says in verse 8, Romans 10, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now he was saying, don't say who's going to go to heaven. In other words, go to heaven to show us what, how we're supposed to live or who's going to go down into Hades and show us how to live because Christ came down from heaven and he came out of Hades. He resurrected from Hades. But he says, the word to show you how to live, is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And it's this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wow. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says... Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, beloved, this is how we enter the kingdom. But this is also how we continue to remain in the kingdom and grow in faith. Learning to continuously call on the Lord. For our salvation. That word saved is a Greek word which simply means wholeness, restoration, welfare. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. In other words, you, you look to him for your strength. He saves you. He makes you whole. And then finally, we have faith and can be certain of our faith because of the witness of the Holy Spirit. And I think for me, the person of the Holy Spirit really differentiates our faith with every other faith. John 14, 6 to 18, 16 to 18 says this. Our Lord says, I will pray the Father, 
And he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. When someone becomes a Christian, Jesus Christ comes to live in that person through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes sure that you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Now, he does many things. One, he is given to reveal Jesus to us. He reveals Jesus to us. Secondly, he brings a deep personal conviction that we are God's children. It is the Holy Spirit who makes you realize you're a child of God. The other thing is, third thing is, he transforms our character. He changes our personality over time with what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Other things the Holy Spirit does is he brings to our remembrance what we've learned from Jesus. He also gives us the strength to live the Christian life. He helps us to pray to God. He is the one who will tell us what to do and what not to do at times when we can't see it in the Bible. He leads us into all truth. He protects us from evil. And above all, he remains with us forever. So when you give your life to Jesus, he comes into your life and brings Jesus to you. And he's there forever. We will have a Holy Spirit weekend, um, or Saturday actually, where those of you who want to have an experience with the Holy Spirit will be inviting you to come. It's a free event. You have free food as well. And, uh, but we will teach about the Holy Spirit and then we will pray for you. I want to encourage you to register. I want to encourage you to come. Even if you are a Christian, but you really want to experience the Holy Spirit more, then I want to encourage you to come. It will really help you. So, we can be, in conclusion, we can, we can have faith and be certain of our faith because we have entered a dynamic relationship with God and with his son, our Lord Jesus. And that relationship is reinforced through the word of God, the work of Jesus, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. I'd like us to pray now, and then we're going to go into our groups. Let's just bow our heads, let's just pray. And I, and I want us to pray, if you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I want us to pray. If you want to pray and surrender your life to Jesus, I want every head bowed, every eye closed, and just pray this prayer with me quickly. And the church can join me in this prayer. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask anything like that. I just want you, if you want to pray this prayer where you're saying, I want Jesus in my life, just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. I believe that he died for me. And I am sorry for the things I've done wrong throughout my life. Please forgive me and help me. I surrender my heart to you and turn from everything I know to be wrong. I turn from everything you show me to be wrong as well. 
Thank you for your son who died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Father God. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. God bless you. Can you go in your groups, please? I apologize for going over time slightly, but can you go into your groups, uh, please? God bless you. Thank you.